Hello, I'm Babita, and welcome again to Mum Will the Planet Die Before I Do, the podcast about parenting in the climate crisis. In this episode, Katie and guest presenter Antonio Godber from Parents for Future UK chat to David Shookman, the BBC's first ever science correspondent who spent decades travelling the world reporting on the front line of the climate crisis. Having travelled so widely and seen the effects of climate change around the world, Katie began by asking David how he deals with climate despair and how he holds on to hope. It's a great question. And I mean, by the way, I just think it's a fantastic idea, your project, what you're doing. It's a brilliant focus and, and should have been done years ago. What, I mean, one of the first things that struck me when I started my travels reporting on, on climate change, my, my main objective was, was to find out the best science. What would a what did the researchers know? And, and, and to relay that to the public as clearly as I could, because I thought that was a key part of the whole thing, raising awareness of what's right and what's probably not right about climate change. Mm-hmm. And of course, on the way, um, the human interest stories just kept sort of smacking me in the face, in particular, the effect on children. and. Um, in a way, it's such an obvious point, isn't it, that you think, well, when you look at the climate models, they go out usually to the end of this century. And it's easy to kind of forget that actually children who are kids now or being born now, that they're going to be living through all of the all the nightmare stuff that, that may be coming at us down the track. And so in the reporting, you know, we with, with my team, we, we always tried to wherever we could, and it wasn't always possible, find young people or children to talk to about this. And um, sometimes it, it, it was a, a kick in the belly, to be honest. I mean, you know, years ago, we were in Kenya during a drought and lots of cattle were dying. We were filming with the, with the Maasai people for whom cattle is, is sort of the whole culture and the way of life and the means of survival. And we went to a school and, and one class was, was having a session out of doors and we were out there on the dusty red earth. And uh, I, I asked the teacher for permission to, for me to ask the kids, how many of your, you and your families have lost cattle just in the last month or so? And you know, there was this class of 20 kids They were sitting on the ground and, and we were with them blazing sunshine. And uh, so I asked, how, how many of you have experienced losses of the cattle that are so important to you? And actually it, it wins me a bit to think of this now, but, but a forest of little arms went up and, and nearly everyone in that class had experienced the, the terrible emotional and financial loss of, of their cattle. And that was 2006, and that was really one of the times I just thought, God, this, you know, with climate, you, it can be abstract. You've got your science and your politics and your conferences, but, 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 but it sort of comes down, doesn't it, to kind of a young person growing up and, and just seeing the main source of income or, or, or nourishment just dying uh, because of climate extremes. And, and that, 
that's that stayed with me and and then <laughs> i mean hey shut me up if this is becoming too 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 terribly depressing but but I mean, more recently we were filming in vietnam and, and i don't know many of you or many of your listeners may may have visited vietnam fantastic beautiful dynamic country and particularly the mekong delta this enormous area of very low-lying highly productive land it's the great one of the great rice producing regions of the world but because it's so lying so low-lying and and you know lots of rivers weaving through it and um because of all the development there it's it's sinking and at the same time the level of the sea is rising and and so the the flooding there is getting more and more severe and we, we were filming in a we were filming in a school and um I mean, as I guess part of the theme of the reporting to, to reflect what young people were thinking about all of this. And we were in a class and the kids, I guess, were nine, 10 years old. And the, the teacher uh, who was engaged in a project with a young British researcher from the University of Hull, she was looking at the impact of climate change on, on children. And, and they asked the kids, so the teacher did in, in Vietnamese, asked the kids just, close your eyes for a minute and and picture a flood just let your mind roam around the idea of what 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 thoughts come to mind when you think of a flood and then open your eyes and just draw whatever you've seen in your mind and and there are all these kids at their desks with 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 crayons and and paper started to draw flooding and it was boiling hot and intensely humid. And uh, I swear, as the pictures emerged on the paper, I felt the temperature just drop. I mean, my, my own temperature, because we were watching and we were filming, nightmares emerge mm. on the paper. I mean, the, the images were were all of, of waves and houses being swept into the water and, and, and adults and kids, you know, neck deep in water, calling for help. Um, uh, uh, one big worry is, is snakes in flood water and, and, and then are pictures of snakes. I mean... But I, I, you, you were you were witnessing that as a father as well. So being in that place, I mean, I know as journalists, we're impartial and all of that. But actually, when you're when you're a father and you're seeing that distress in children, I mean, and we see it now that distress in children who kind of feel that adults aren't doing enough, or that distress that children are exposed to in a world where they know that's a probability. Like, how does that? How do you? deal with that as a as a journalist or just as a oh, dad well i mean yeah you, you try to do the reporting as as sort of methodically and, and and impartially as possible but i mean you know as with the story from kenya you know every time i think of that classroom in vietnam and talk about it it's it's obviously emotional and yes i i I'm the father of three beautiful kids. They're all now in their late twenties, early thirties, and um, you know they've they've got their own perspectives on the world. And and I, you kind of know as a parent how well you think you know as a parent 
what is impacting your own children? And, and, and you know, as someone who, who was a kid, what impacted you when you were growing up and, and stayed with you. And it's, it's funny talking to siblings, my own siblings and, and my own kids, things that, that affected them earlier in their lives, which, which I was there for, but didn't really get me. But I think with, with climate and something as sort of existential as flooding, you know, you know it's having a profound impact. David, and yeah, very wounding. Sorry. Yeah, hugely moving. I, that is just so descriptive. And when you speak, I, I can literally picture you in that room with those children. And I can imagine the, the heartache that you must have been feeling as a journalist and also as a father. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, you have had this incredible career and this unique experience where you have seen firsthand the damage that's been done for a really long time. Whereas over here in the West, I think some of the problems that we're having is that we see the headlines, we see you know, all the information, we're bombarded with it in fact on social media, but we're not seeing it with our own eyes. We're not yet to experience it ourselves. And so I think some of the hesitancy to take action, the, the paralysis that some people may feel, especially parents who know that they're, they're, this will affect their children in decades to come, um, is because we haven't yet seen this with our own eyes and we don't, we can't relate to it in the same way that you have been able to. So what would you suggest, what are the ways that we can engage parents who haven't been able to see this devastation firsthand? How can we engage their hearts and, and, and make them feel the deep, deep emotions that you felt when you were there so that they are then able to take action? It's an amazing question and, and the, the whole perspective. I mean, I think one thing that really does shift people's response to this climate crisis is, is when they do experience some of it themselves. And that is happening more and more. I mean, we're living on a planet that's a degree hotter than it was 150 years ago, which means that heat waves come round more often, which means that there's that there are more droughts, that there are more floods. And it, it, so it means that there are more and more people, including in the rich nations like ours, who who either have already experienced one of those things or are very likely to in the coming years or two. I mean, you know, I, I always think one of the most kind of blindingly obvious examples that people often don't think about it is, you know, how many homes in the UK have a kitchen extension with big windows, you know, at, at the back of the house, maybe looking onto a yard or a garden. And um, when it's a hot day and the sun hits those windows, how hot does that kitchen get, yes. right? Now that, that, that's hotter and hotter is the answer. And, yeah, but and I, I'm not sure if that actually I've just been so maddened sometimes with people who are saying, oh, yeah, a great drying day for the washing or. Sure, which is even, also true. Which is also yeah. true. But that kind of what you're saying, that penny drop of even in our worlds, those kind of changes of the climate. I'm not sure we are yet. I mean, even with the disappearance of insects, you know, I remember cycling along as a child and having like 5000 insects in my eyes. And now that population has just dropped. I'm just not convinced yet that we are that we're kind of drawing the dots in our, in what we see of our own well, climate. I think I mean that's that's a really really good point, and I think you know for a lot of people this is either something that's that's from them for them just too remote, or uh, they've got other priorities. 
Mm. They sort of heard about all this stuff and they, they really can't tune into it. Uh, it's either too depressing or whatever. Um, or they've got other things they want to get on with. I, I, I think my point is that I think more and more people, and this is reflected in opinion polls, more and more people are getting a flavour of what this could mean, whether it means because they've had to buy an awning to go over the kitchen extension or possibly buy a fan or even buy an air conditioning unit for maybe a, a bedroom at the top of a, a house or a, a, you know, a flat with a, with, a, with a dark flat roof, which gets really hot in a heat wave. I mean, these are little indicators. I mean, I did a story with a, a seller of air conditioning units a couple of years ago who was just you know, incredibly busy. He just couldn't get a hold of enough. And he said, this is, this is one aspect of climate change. So I think you know, in different ways, different people are starting to yeah. kind of see how it affects them. I think the other thing, is when there are climate catastrophes in distant lands, which you might think at face value, well, doesn't really affect us, but actually when for some reason it does. So, I mean, you know, the, the most obvious example right now is uh, fuel and food prices are going up partly because of the war in Ukraine, but also partly because of the COVID lockdowns and things, but, but also an undercurrent for the price rises is climate change. Yes. is that in various parts of the world, harder and harder to grow key foodstuffs, and, and that means the prices that, go up. That point is absolutely accurate, but do you think that enough people are aware that actually the system's breaking yeah. down because of the, this huge breakdown in the natural world and the, the biodiversity loss and everything else and how desperately interconnected everything is because it seems to me that often these these huge changes we're facing that you've described are often like quite normalized I mean we got used to COVID yeah. didn't we we got well, used to wearing our masks it became a normal way of life and it's almost as if oh well my my kitchen will get a bit hot so I'll buy my awning or um I get the house gets a bit warm so I get air conditioning almost as if we're trying to kick the can down the road and buy more time without making the connection that actually everything has to change I don't know how you feel about the media's role yeah. and maybe we need yeah. we really well, do need the media to help us in this don't yeah, we yeah i mean as someone who you know reported on it for years I, I i always wanted this to be the lead story every day yeah uh, and uh I, I you know i was often disappointed that, that i couldn't get more about this subject on uh it goes in waves there are there are subjects that are sort of of interest in newsrooms for a while and then they dip and then they come back and it's definitely been the case with climate change i mean you know in in the sort of early part of this um, century, you know, there was growing interest, a lot of skepticism, a lot of deniers and whatever, but, you know, a few of us sort of kept the story going. And then there was the banking crisis. Yes. And that then became like the priority. And then there was a disastrous, hopeless summit, climate summit in Copenhagen in 2009, when nothing was really agreed. And so a lot of people thought, well, you know, is this really ever going to happen kind of thing? Yes. And then it came back, you know. You and then feel something... now then that, that things are definitely becoming more mainstream uh, as I, someone who's been in the media yourself. Definitely. I, I've sensed the earth shifting on this. It's shifted on its axis in, a, in an unbelievable way. Not fast enough by any means, yeah. but it's definitely shifted. I mean, so, I mean, the first COP, the first climate summit I went to, COP 11 in 2005, you know, it was a pretty meagre event. I mean, there were some environmental campaigners, some environment ministers, nothing much was agreed. Compare that to COP26 in Glasgow, when you suddenly had this massive presence of, of protesters and scientists and 
companies, which is a new thing. Some of them engaging sincerely, others insincerely and just yeah, greenwashing, but nevertheless, really, better to have them than not, I would argue. That, I, I don't, I'm not sure how I feel about that, that, though. I think, yes, better to have them than not. But that also makes me feel so sad that it's the it's largely kids who have had to be there to yeah. be. I mean, you know, and I think that's what really makes me feel so, so sad that you as you're saying, Copenhagen, all of these iterations of the same conversation that don't go anywhere. And yes, it's to be really celebrated. And I know what you mean to have all the protesters on board and all of that kind of stuff for this swell of kind of public awareness but equally I guess that feeling for those kids in those protests thinking well can't well, do something why do we have to be so, here why do we have so, to be here so yeah. so I mean you're absolutely right I mean you know and and, and I can see why you know Greta and and, and everybody that she's inspired is, is so profoundly frustrated interestingly I had a chance to interview Greta a few years back and she, she was very, very clear that, I mean, she's really read the climate science yeah. to an impressive degree. And, and that was most of what we talked about. And, and I was really blown away by the detailed understanding she, she had of it. I mean, way beyond most politicians, to be honest. And, um, but she was very, very clear that her generation does not own the levers of power. Yeah. That that it's it's not the young people who can they can clamor for change and demand it and all the rest of it, but they can't affect the change. They that's can't. that's that's as yeah, it were my generation. Exactly. I mean, you know, they, they can't even vote. Yeah. And you have to yeah. imagine how they must have felt at COP, thinking this is the twenty, this is COP twenty six. This worked. Why are we on number twenty six? And I think yeah. in terms of what Katie's saying as well, this is so so important that there is this narrative that the kids are amazing, the kids are wonderful, and they're going to sort it all out, which I just think is a desperately unfair burden. I know my kids, you know, they're they're thirteen and ten and eight, and and they they. They're, it's not their job. And I, I, I'll tell you a story about something that really, really kicked me, took my breath away and kicked me in the belly, was I went into my son's school uh, a few weeks ago to run a few sessions on social justice. And I was working with these children who were 13, 14, 15 years old. And I, was, I wasn't teaching them the, the climate science. They already know it. I was simply asking how they felt about it and putting them in small groups to discuss. And one girl said something which I will never forget. She said, it's like the grown-ups have had this massive party and they've destroyed the house and some of the rooms are on fire and several of the bathrooms have been flooded and there's no food left and everything's broken. And do you know what they're doing? They're asking us to come in and clean up the mess when we weren't even invited to the party and we don't know how to fix it. And it just made me cry because she was 14 and she'd hit the nail on the head. She said, we can't even vote. And I said, what do you think your role is here then, apart from, you know, being the canaries in the coal mine, which you're so beautifully doing? And they, bless them, they started talking about recycling and, you know, not going on a holiday ever again and things like that. And I said, actually, I think your job is just to be kids and just to enjoy your childhood because the grown-ups, it's our job to do this. Our job is to wrap our arms around you and to take responsibility, as scary as it is, as terrifying as it is, even though there's no blueprint from which to do it. And they said, but you're not, though. You're not doing it, are you? Um, and that was really hard. So 
I, I, I do think it's it's really important in all of this that 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 children, the younger generation, don't feel it's all on their shoulders. I mean, interestingly, over the years, I've had the opportunity to interview David Attenborough a number of times about climate change, and you know, I asked him once what what sense of hope, what gives him hope, and he said the thing that really makes him optimistic is the engagement of the younger generation the fact that they are involved and they're mobilized and they're demanding action. And then I put that point to a wonderful young woman researcher at an incredible high-tech, low-carbon, zero farm indoors in, in Scunthorpe in the Humber region. I mean, you know, it, it recycles the water, it's got solar panels, it's, 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 it's you know, potentially the future of growing food in a very zero-carbon way. And, and, and I, I said to, to, to this young woman, Beth Campbell, look, David Attenborough is kind of counting on you. And, and, and she kind of rolled her eyes and, and said, well, that's well, great kind of thing. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, because she isn't in power. And, 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 and I think, but I think let's not lose sight of the fact that it's, it's better, it's more, I think it's a more positive thing that there are children, young people who are aware of this and are motivated and are engaged and are asking lots of questions. And, in, and some of the people they throw questions out are their parents. Yes. That, that puts massive pressure on, really on, 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 on parents. Yes. But I think the, the answer for the parents must be to be part of that process of awareness. I mean, like, I think there's probably a responsibility on, on all of us to understand really what we're facing. But you and, see, and that's, that, that's exactly it though. And I think the more, that the kids, I mean, you say about Greta being very literate in the science. I've noticed that in a lot of kids as well. I mean, really a lot, really seem to understand the science or the consequences of inaction. But that dynamic of a kid nagging their parent, I'm just trying to work out in me, I don't know, even when there's an awareness week about kind of plastic at school, I tend to be like, oh, and slightly like, oh God, I don't know if I can participate in this. And I like to count myself as a kind of eco-parent. And there is so much in me that wants to shut down and wants to close my eyes and just wants to not, almost just not, not participate in it because I cannot bear to think that it's real. And then you've got that dynamic by the kids kind of being like, no, but it is. And the parents desperately wanting our very best for our children. That's our role. That's our desire. That's why we have children. But equally, we, we cannot open our eyes to it. And I don't understand. I don't think it will take more nagging for the kids because almost more of that makes us bunker down more. At least that's how I react. I, I, I don't know whether it's nagging or, or, or just whether it's when there are the million choices that we all face as families or individuals every day whether because of greater awareness about about all of this that there's a there are kind of decisions you reach or choices you make that 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 might not always be the right ones but 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 maybe will be i mean and i think if the children are involved in that process i think that's that's going to be healthy surely i mean you know how often do we want to eat meat as a family per week? Never, once, twice. I mean, the Climate Change Committee, which is the advisory group for the government, says, you know, we're not saying never eat meat, just eat less of it. So that's a family decision, I would say. What kind of 
milk do we want? What, what kind of products do we want? Do we want to try to find one of those wonderful shops that where you just take your own containers and do the refill, or is it too awkward? What do we do with our plastic waste? How carefully do we sort it? I mean, these are all things where, in my experience, if children are involved, they're actually, it's not nagging, it's, well, there may be some nagging, I suppose, but, but it's also a contribution and it's an involvement in, yes. a, in, a, in a process, which Absolutely. I think could be, could be very kind of actually enjoyable. And the healthy, and empowering. word you used, healthy, is so, so mm. true, because ultimately, I think Katie's right, we feel so paralysed as parents that we can just shut down and think we're almost protecting children by not talking about it or changing the subject when actually the opposite is true. They're not dark. They know what's going on. And I think you're absolutely right. An acknowledgement, any, any human just wants to be, if they're worried about something, they just want to be heard. So when the children come back and say, I've learned this in school, Katie was saying that her son's textbook is all full of, you know, sea level rise and melting ice caps. They're being given the facts. Mm -hmm. So we can't then expect them just to sort of hold them inside and come back home and have parents not talking about it. But like yeah. you said, that's really simple. I think it's scary. it can be seem scarier than it is. Because if you say, right, Let's sit down as a family and make some decisions about changes we should make. You're, you're, first of all, you're acknowledging the situation. The children feel less frightened because mum and dad, oh, it's okay, they do know about this. Second of all, you're making plans together, which, as you said, is really empowering for the, for the children. Mum and dad are involving me in this decision, which makes it less, you know, boring and tiresome. Um, and, and then the whole family is involved. And once you've had that discussion, it becomes less scary, doesn't it, as a family? So I just think keeping I, I, it out in the open. I, I, I think that the, the, the talking about it, yes. if you've got if you've got one, it probably won't be the entire family that's anxious about this. I mean, in my experience, it's going to be a few family members yeah. Yeah. will be more concerned than others. There may be one or two who who frankly aren't that kind of bothered. And and and, and uh, fine, that's their right. But I mean, I think. I think the more there's a conversation, yes. and that's really good. I mean, I've got to share with you the story of, you know, when my kids were teenagers, um, I got hold of one of those energy monitors. That, that, so a little meter thing in the kitchen, you can see how much power the house is using. And, and when I came back from work one evening, I found the three kids all sort of hunched over this thing. And uh, I thought, well, that's great. You know, the younger generation engaged in you know, the whole question of energy and climate, and that's really positive. And then I realized, I looked around the house, every appliance was on. They put on every light, every, the microwave, the hairdryer, everything, to see how high they could get the number. I mean, I think kids, you have to allow kids to be kids and yeah. to push boundaries and to experiment. And I think at the same time, they can be concerned, but also just want to kind of just that's because what kids do isn't it I mean that's just who they who they are I, I think yeah. by in, in, including everybody in a conversation and I think a, a really key thing here and this goes back to a point we touched on right at the beginning I think it's really important that as much as possible whatever we're talking about is anchored in the best science which I mean not everyone's going to have time to read all the all the original science obviously but I think it's very, very easy to pick up, perhaps in a playground or, or, or perhaps on social media, some stuff about climate change, which is more apocalyptic than is actually supported by the science. I mean, we are not all going to fry by next Tuesday kind of thing, or London is not going to go underwater by Thursday. These things, I mean, but I think it's very easy. 
And I've certainly talked to young people who've kind of had that impression. They hear about the, we've got 10 years to save the planet, which, which they think has come to mean human extinction in 10 years. Yes. And there's nothing in the science that says that. It, that the 10 years is, we've got to halve emissions by 2030 yeah. to have the best chance yeah. of avoiding horribly dangerous temperatures in the future. But, but I think I get the impression there's sometimes a sense of finality and a cataclysm, which, which actually isn't accurate. And I think I'm probably, so glad you've said that because no, no, dealing we, with eco-anxiety in our kids, you're right, they pick up on these things yeah. and you're absolutely right. It's, you're absolutely it's, it's right. about what we're talking about. I mean, in, in a way, the flip side is because there isn't a sort of looming guillotine moment where it's do or die, um, I think a lot of people perhaps haven't felt the urgency required in dealing yeah, with climate balance, change. To make, you, know, you don't want to be too complacent, but you don't want to be too panicked. Absolutely. Be and and I, I think as a parent, it's also quite empowering to be able to say, look, I've, I've actually read this stuff. Uh, and, and, and there are plenty of resources out there that are reliable and, and, and draw on the best science. And, and, and I'm telling you, as the parent, that I've researched this and, you know, we're not all going to sort of just vaporise in, in the next few years. And I That's think just that not going to happen. Essential because though they're, they're all the thoughts going on in their little heads, if they don't feel like they can come to us as parents and talk about it, then goodness knows what catastrophizing they'll be doing. Mm, yes. But on the other hand, I think a lot of parents are um, too frightened to have the conversation and then all these misunderstandings arise yeah. and then it can become a lot, uh, far too frightening for everybody. So as we said, as you said, keeping the conversation open is vital. But one thing I think is really hard for parents is that it's such a big problem. We're exposed to all these headlines. It's We're not designed, our brains aren't designed to be able to absorb all this terrible information all day long, but, but we are because every time we open our phones, we see disaster. Mm. So we're completely flooded with all this information and we then sort of shut down and don't really know yeah. how to talk about it. But the good news is, when you do talk about it, you find out you're not the only mum at the school gates worrying about this. You're not the only dad at work worrying about this. Actually, a lot of people, are, are children included, but adults and parents too, we've got these ideas in our heads and they don't, they need to come out. We need to have these conversations. That's what another reason this podcast is so brilliant because we need to be laying this out on the table, talking together rather than letting this become something that's taboo. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, really, really amazing to hear you lay it out like that. And, and I think, you know, it's human nature to feel very easily overwhelmed. Absolutely. I mean, look, you know, there's a there's a really horrible war on right now, kind of on the European continent, something which which, you know, for decades felt completely unimaginable. Mm. What's going on there now? There's the problem of millions of refugees trying to find sanctuary and then there's COVID, which isn't over yet, although we'd all love it to be. You know, I mean, th th there are so many things that, that, that really hit us hour by hour, day by day. And if, you, if you're on your phone, <laughs> you know, scrolling, it can be incredibly depressing and you can be bombarded yeah. with stuff. If you're not on your phone, it's almost more upsetting when you bump into someone, yeah. a neighbor who says, oh, did you hear this? Mm, you yes. think, well, no, I didn't know that actually. And I think, you know, so I think I think for, for your generation of parents, 
I, I think you're you're facing a uniquely challenging time, and I really, really sympathise with what you're going through. I, you know, when when my wife and I, you know, were trying to bring up our kids at a, the age of yours, yes. you know, we we didn't have them, and there were there were there were, other, there were more distant wars, and there were mm. other things that we worried about. But I think nothing on the scale of a pandemic and the risk of global conflict and climate change. I mean, no, I mean there, there weren't so many things at the same time. Yeah. So I think, I think, if I may, you can afford to just take a deep breath yes. and just recognize that your generation of, of young parent is, is in a uniquely difficult position. And, and uh, you deserve a huge amount of sympathy and support. And, and I think vital not to beat yourselves up about how am I, am I dealing with it all hour by hour? You can't, nobody can. No. And, and I think the only answer is bite-sized chunks. I think that's such a lovely thing oh, to say. Yeah. Thank no, no. you. Oh, I could no, genuinely. Yeah. Yes, because we can't take in any more than that. And it's so mm. hard because it's constant and it's all the time. And as you say, there is no training for this and no other parental you know cohorts had to handle this and no. it can become as you say totally overwhelming and then we're no use to anyone if we're completely overwhelmed and it can be overwhelming also you know you mentioned the the parents in Kenya or Bangladesh or you know people parents when I watch parents living on the front line of climate change they're living what I'm dreading happening in the future so you're right, that kind of bombardment of news and images and that kind of like guilt that you feel also as a parent in a privileged, like such a ridiculously privileged situation, all of that then combined is yes. just so... Guilt, the shame, the panic, the fear, the okay, overwhelm. So I, I, I think if you, if, if you can, you know, that age-old recommendation that times of stress make a list. And, <laughs> and the, the list will have these days for you to you two particularly dozens of things on it right now you, you can't deal with them in a day so pick three or two and just see if you can deal with those like if we're going to have fish what kind of fish are we going to have if we're going to change the light bulbs what are we going to do about that if we're going to if we've got a car and we're going to change it let's think about that i mean but i think you can't do it all at once and you know i think underpinning all of this there's something Wonderfully reassuring, I found in, in, in really terrible places, difficult situations about common human decency and, and living just for the moment. Mm. So you mentioned Bangladesh, Katie. We were filming in Bangladesh in this village on the coast that every high tide gets flooded and the salt water gets into the fields. And so the fields aren't productive. I mean, it's an absolute nightmare situation. No one was helping them. And we were filming and, and actually my cameraman and I were, were sort of nearly waist deep in mud and flood water. And, and we both started sinking, <laughs> realized we couldn't get out. Now, the, we were surrounded by all these guys trying to repair the flood defenses. And, and there, naturally, their hands were really muddy because they were trying to move this mud around. But th they were so kind of polite and, 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 and sort of pleased that we were with them, sharing their, their hardship, that rather than offering a muddy hand to help get us up, they offered a very sturdy elbow, a nice clean elbow, you know, and, and I grabbed this guy's elbow and was able to lever myself 
out and then we got back to the village and it was Ramadan. So nobody there was eating, but we were visiting Westerners. And in this really poor community with all of its troubles, this wonderful woman came out with a bowl of dal for us to share. And, and, and you know, we felt guilty, but, but they all insisted that we eat it. It was the best dal of my life, right? Now, it seemed to me that there were these people faced with, with unimaginable challenges, yet somehow, just minute by minute, hour by hour, they were, they were finding ways to be, to be exceptionally hospitable. Yes. And, and decent and, 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 it, and it was terrific for us and, and I, 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 I hope for them. And, and I think, so I think, I think that's all we can do is just minute by minute, step by step, bit by bit. And remember that it's, you're in a, you're in a really horrible situation which you can't tackle overnight and, and give yourself a break. We can't tackle it on our own either. Yeah, we well, that's what... We need that, each other. Exactly. And as well as needing each other, I think I certainly get completely crumpled by that prospect of we need to topple governments or change systems or change corporations that are greedy. All or, before dinner time. All before dinner time. But <laughs> what, you're, what I, I'm understanding from you also is I think that perception of individual responsibility could just like literally make you kind of puke. But what you're saying, those kind of those individual actions and just living in the moment, because sometimes I'm so scared by it. And my daughter's saying, will you bounce with me on the trampoline? And I'm like, no, I'm too busy stressing about, the, you know, so actually, who does that benefit, you know? Exactly, because we're de definitely bounce on the trampoline. Yeah. Then we're, we're missing their present, aren't we? Yeah. And, I, 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 you've experienced firsthand the beauty yeah. part of the beautiful part of human nature that I think is still there. We mustn't lose our yeah. faith in human nature because when things are terrible, people behave very badly, but they also behave extremely kindly. And I think you've really helped in when you said minute by minute, hour by hour, because we're not supposed to do all this on our own. We're, we're a collective. We've forgotten that we're a collective, but we are. And together we can achieve amazing things. And, and it, I think it applies just generally as a parent. I mean, a wonderful old friend of mine when I was a, a young father and I was quite stressed by, you know, because you're, you're working at a career and you've got all these opportunities and a lot of them meant travel and being away from home. And, um, uh, and you've got young kids having a, a sort of beautiful time growing up and I'm missing it, mm. you know? And, 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 and this friend said, do you know what? When you make choices about which assignment to go on or whether to stay behind for some family reason, you, you'll actually, on balance, never remember the time. You'll never remember the work trip, but you will remember the, the staying at home and having an experience. So, for example, with the trampoline, if you were getting all stressed because you've been reading something about Greenland or about Bangladesh or whatever it is, and, and, and then actually you had 10 minutes on the trampoline with your child, I, I bet in 10, 20 years, and I can say this because I'm down the track from you, yes. You'll remember the 10 minutes on the trampoline. You'll be so glad that you took those 10 minutes. Oh, David, thank you. Genuinely. And, and you'll look back at that. I, I, I mean, and the times that I made those decisions and I didn't make them enough, 
But when I made those decisions, and I, I can now vividly recall profoundly wonderful experiences with my kids in the garden or, or, or doing something. It might be quite minor and brief, but it just stays in. And I think that's empowering. And I think it'll make you a better person and better able yes. to deal with the big, Absolutely. ugly stuff going on outside. Like you said, chunk, bite-sized chunks. David, thank you. I know we've gone over and I want to say thank you to the wonderful Antonia Godba, who's been oh, guest oh. presenting with us today. Such a privilege. Thank you both. It's, and it's David, been wonderful. You. And I, I know, see, I'm, I'm hugely kind of moved by what you're doing and the stresses you feel. And it, I think it's a fantastic initiative that you've launched here and, and really, really proud to have supported it. David Shookman there, talking to Katie and our guest presenter, Antonio Godber from Parents for Future UK. What brilliant advice David gave us about being present and enjoying the small things with our kids, even when the fear of climate change threatens to engulf us. We're so grateful we got the opportunity to speak to him. Don't forget, you can keep in touch with us on social media using the hashtag MumWillThePlanetDie. And do join us next week as we continue our journey to understand how our approach to parenting is changing in response to climate change. See you then. Mum, Will the Planet Die Before I Do? is a corner shop media production presented and produced by Babita Sharma, Katie Glasborough and edited by Nisha Patel.